Jacob is now in that season we call midlife. It's been about 20 years since Jacob showed up at his uncle Laban's house and fell in love with Rachel. And for the last 20 years, Jacob has been working for Laban. He's been building his wealth. Jacob's been building up his career, building his family. He's kind of lived the ancient world's version of the American dream. Call it the ancient Near East dream. Jacob now has a few wives. He's got a pack of kids, this growing herd of sheep and goats and other wealth. Now, of course, it hasn't come easy for Jacob. He was scrappy and he worked hard along the way. Remember what his name means? Trixie, Surplanter. And he's continued to live up for that and all the work he's done. He's been scheming and tricking and climbing his way up that ladder. Now, of course, don't get the wrong idea here. Laban is no innocent victim. Laban, his uncle turned boss, turned father-in-law, has been scheming himself. Remember how Laban tricked Jacob into marrying both Rachel and Leah by working all those years? Well, Laban also tried to trick him in the family business along the way. Jacob apparently was this really profitable herdsman, and he was making all of Laban, making him all kinds of money. And so one day Jacob says, hey, it's time for a little kickback for me. Jacob wants to make more than children. He wants to make his own fortune. And so Laban and Jacob, they make a deal about who gets the spotted and striped sheep and who gets the solid colored sheep. And the way the story goes, they keep trying to rig the system. Both of them do. They keep trying to come out on top back and forth. Jacob and Laban are being shrewd with each other, acting all nice and professional on the surface but always keeping their own interests at the forefront and even being a little dishonest behind the scenes. And that is how it goes for 20 years. Week after week, year after year, Jacob is working hard to build his life and he's playing the game and he does what it takes to achieve all he can achieve. He works hard and after 20 years, he's done it really. He's got the wives and the kids and the investments and even the envy of some of his peers. Jacob has made something of himself. In fact, by the time he's reached midlife, it's fair to say that Jacob has followed the sort of standard pattern for the first half of life. Richard Rohr does a lot of teachings on this, these two halves of life. And he says that the essential questions in that first half of life is what's, what makes me significant? And then how can I support myself and who will go with me? And answering those questions are pretty critical to our own sense of self and our identity and our purpose that we're trying to form along the way. And as humans, we all have this deep need to answer those questions, to achieve something meaningful with our lives. And we tend to try to do that by following the cultural script of what happiness and success and honor look like in our culture, in our community. And so for some, that means getting an education and having a steady job with benefits. 
For others, it means having a family and raising kids. For others, it might mean working to be influential and trying to change the world around them. For most of us, it's some combination of that. You know how the typical American script is, at least the white middle-class script is get an education, get a career, have a family, work hard, be a good citizen, be as successful as possible, achieve something, and you've done it. You have won the game of life. Richard Rohr calls it being a good soldier, following the script. It's what tends to get us through the first half of life safely. We sort of march along to this tune, and it you know, being that good soldier, it teaches us to remember to look both ways before we cross the street and to have enough impulse control to avoid addictions and compulsive emotions and to learn healthy boundaries in life that give us dignity and identity and direction and significance. And the thing is, we must learn all of those things to get a good start, right? But there comes a point when we've done that. And it's no longer enough for the longings of the soul. And that growing awareness comes to us maybe in some different ways depending on how our life plays out. Maybe you've achieved what you set out to achieve and it was great and all, but it doesn't seem to be adding up to what you thought. And there's some emptiness still there and There's a restlessness that keeps growing and you try to fill it again, maybe now with a new car or a nicer house or a nicer lover or a different career. Sometimes we call that a midlife crisis. Sometimes it's a retirement crisis. Or or maybe you tried to be a good soldier along the way, but there was still, even though you did everything right, there was still some great suffering that came to you or a painful betrayal, or you experience some deep sense of failure and you realize, you know what? Following that script and being the good soldier, it didn't pay off. It wasn't enough to keep you from this pain. The system did not live up to its side of the bargain, did it? And now that script that you followed, that work of this first half of life that you did need to do, well, it's not really going to be enough for the second part of the journey. It's no longer enough to hold the soul's growing questions and yearnings. And and chances are, that's bringing a lot of confusion. And you're not really sure how to move forward or what to do next. And so you wrestle with what this life of yours has become. And you wrestle with where it's all going. And you wrestle with your own soul. And at the heart of it, you are wrestling with God. There's this ancient story where a man walks up to a beloved elderly monk and the man asks the old monk, do you still wrestle with the devil like the rest of us? No, the old monk says, I'm old and tired, and so is he. Well, so your life must be easier now, now that all that's past you. Oh no, said the monk. It's much harder now. Now, I wrestle with God. 
That's where Jacob finds himself in our story today. He grew up wrestling with those demons of always being second choice. And he's learned how to play the game and get ahead anyway. He's played the game as a young man and child and won that birthright and that blessing. And then he played the game for those 20 years of adulthood, working life at his uncle Laban's house, building his family, building his career, making a life for himself. And now he looks around and what has it got him? By this point in the story, he's had to leave Laban's house and cut off those connections. And now rumor has it that Esau, his brother from so long ago, is coming with 400 men, probably to destroy him for all he knows. And, and so Jacob has sent his side, his family and his wealth to the other side of the river. And, and now Jacob, he's there that dark night all alone. And he has to ask, what has it all got him? And he's afraid. He, he's afraid that Esau might come and destroy his family and wealth and kill him. But it's more than that, really. I think he, he's terrified that after all that he's done, it's going to add up to nothing. He's terrified that even though he has played the game and he has worked hard, none of it really mattered. And now, there's no game left to play. There's no one there left to wrestle with. There's no one to supplant except for himself and for God. And so that's what he does. All night, he begins to wrestle with himself, and he wrestles with this mysterious man, and by the end of the night, we realize that he's actually wrestling with God. Augustine says that we've been made for God, and so our hearts, they are restless until they learn to rest in God. That's what Jacob is finally doing at the river Jabbok. Jacob is trying to wrestle his way into meaning, into purpose. He's trying to wrestle his way into wholeness. So as the day began to break, Jacob, he holds on to this mysterious man. He will not let go, and he pleads for a blessing. And that divine presence asks him one question in that moment. It's the only question that Jacob needs to answer to receive the blessing. What is your name? You know, it's really a question that his whole life up to this point has been making him answer and has been asking him, what is your name? Who are you? Jacob, he replies, Trixie, a supplanter. You shall no longer be called Jacob, the divine presence says. Through all your journeys, through your woundedness, you are becoming something new. Now, you will be called Israel, for you have wrestled with God and with man and have prevailed. That's what Israel means, one who strives with God, who wrestles with the divine. 
And you know, it's always seemed quite profound to me that this is the moment when Jacob receives that name Israel, and then that is the very name that the people of God take for the rest of the biblical story. The people of God are Israel. They are the ones who strive with the divine. They wrestle with God. It's who they are. It's part of what it means to be God's people. You see, being a person of faith isn't just about passively accepting platitudes and theological formulas about God. Yes, we do have to learn those things and we need to teach some of those things. That is the first half of life work. And as a church, we need to help do those things. But a faith that keeps growing won't stay as pretty one-liners. Because one day we will find ourselves at the end of our ability to make sense of it all and to do this life right and to follow that good soldier script. And when we get there, when we get to that place of deep wrestling, we really have three options for us. We can Some do walk away from God and just ignore those divine stirrings in us, say it was all a hoax and walk away, give up on the whole thing. Or we can put our heads in the sand and pretend that those old answers are just fine and dandy for me and refuse to actually look at the truth of our life. Put our heads in the sand and just keep going along like everything's fine. Or we can start wrestling with God, refusing to let go of until God gives us the deep blessing we are longing for, for something more, for meaning and purpose and more than we have been able to to make sense of on our own. That's what Jacob does. He refuses to let go. He demands a blessing and it's given to him but it comes at a cost. Remember that. It's the last part of the story that I want to invite you to see today. Jacob, he receives a holy blessing, but it comes with a deep wounding. His hip is wounded, thrown out of socket, and now he will limp for the rest of his life. And that's a deeply important image of what it looks like to begin to move into the second half of life, spiritual work. And and I don't mean that just as you get older, you should probably expect to need to have hip surgery. Sure, that may come for some of us. But this limp, it's a metaphor. It's a sign, an outward sign of of a kind of dependence. It's a sign of the ego being defeated by God and surrendering to the divine life. That outward wound, it's like this regular reminding that your striving and your supplanting, it isn't going to get you anywhere anymore. And so that wound then, as you live with it, it begins to give you new awareness that, that this life of yours, it, it's not about building and growing your own power and wealth and importance. Sure, maybe that had a purpose and a time, but really this life is about surrendering to a power that is beyond you and learning in a deeper way, knowing in a deeper way that your life was 
actually never really about you to begin with and your success and your winning and your coming out on top. You were actually made for something more, for giving your life away, for falling into this deep reality where you discover your deep oneness with the very heart of God and you start to live out of this simple surrender to the grace and joy and love that's not just for you but is for the sake of the world. Jacob had received that ancient Abrahamic blessing, remember, to become a blessing for all the peoples of the earth. That's what his story was supposed to be about. Well, to continue with that story about the old monk from earlier, that young man went on to ask him, you mean you wrestle with God and you hope to win? No, my son, the monk replied. I wrestle with God and I hope to lose. You see, Jacob, he, he loses in that wrestling match with God. He is wounded, and yet there is this deep grace in that loss that changes him forever. Losing of some kind, receiving a wound, is, is sometimes the only way that God can actually get us to change and to let go of all that good soldier script we've been living by, of all of that success narrative we've been following, and to finally surrender to the radical love that is there at the very heart of our life. And so as we come to the end of following Jacob's story, I hope you can see that from this last month and looking all these stories at how Jacob's life has really all along been a kind of map for us. His journey from birth to family tensions growing up to leaving home and encountering God as a young man. Remember that dream and the stone as he was a young man leaving? to building a life for himself, starting his own family, his marriages, and, 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 and then building up his career, family and career there with Laban, to now, now leaving some of that work behind and wrestling with what it all means, wrestling with God until that morning when he receives both a lasting wound and a new name. Jacob's story is a map of the holy journey. This is what life tend, with God tends to look like. We learn and we grow and we strive, but eventually we will have to shed the illusions of our own power and control and ability. And there's a good chance it's going to take a wounding of some kind for that to happen. But remember... It is from your wounds that you can finally learn to fully surrender to the one who created you and who fills you and who leads you to the gifts of wonder and humility and grace and wisdom for the sake of the world. Amen.